In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, Living the Paradox of Enlightenment, Spiritual Awakening in Simple, Clear English. It's a man named Tookie Williams who was put to death by the state of California. But he represented so much for me the hope because he had changed. He had been a founder of the Crips, I think it was, down in L.A., one of the gangs. And so he was very involved in some nefarious affairs. But he became a changed man when he was in prison. And when he was in prison, there were petitions to keep him from being put to death. And then here he was writing these very little short books to children and young teenagers and telling them about the false promise of gang life. And people were flooding him with letters, telling him how he was the one that kept them out of gangs. And he was making all this different. And I, I cried and cried and cried. Several years ago, I came across this book called The World's Most Haunted House, the true story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist. This was a, a very famous case that took place in Connecticut back in the 70s. It's a, a very chilling story. A terrific book and a terrific writer, too. William J. Hall. Well, William has a brand new paranormal shopping site called HallOfTheParanormal.com. Really, you should check it out. If you're a fellow paranormal investigator or an amateur ghost hunter, this is like a one-stop shop for the paranormal enthusiast. There's ghost hunting equipment and gifts. You can get a subscription to Bill's newsletter. There's a 100... He has a 179-page ebook available called Humorous Hauntings. And if you visit... You can get a 20% off code, halloftheparanormal.com. Again, halloftheparanormal.com. That's halloftheparanormal.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. These are the glorious days of spring, my friends. You know what I enjoy about this time of year? Everything is so fresh and new. The leaves are just nicely out on the trees. A lot of the trees still are in bloom. The lilacs are out, I noticed. Green shoots are springing out of the earth. In the morning, it's still cool, and I venture out onto the front porch to enjoy my first morning coffee around 7 a.m. before the house wakes up. And the other thing I love is the wildlife. Uh, last night, just before sunset, 
Uh, there was a skunk across the road on a neighbor's front lawn, uh, digging for grubs, I suppose, and I watched him uh, waddle across the driveway and then across the street and disappear into the woods. And there were always uh, raccoons crossing the road, doing their rounds uh, around sunset. Rabbits are everywhere. Now, I haven't seen a fox yet this spring, but I'm sure it's just a matter of time. They're around. But I am never so content as when I'm outside enjoying nature. Ralph Waldo Emerson, my favorite philosopher, writes so brilliantly about this. In the presence of nature, he writes, a wild delight runs through the man in spite of real sorrows. Uh, He cannot be happy and strong until he too lives with nature in the present above time. Ah, he was so wonderful, so, so wise. So I thought we'd, we'd take a little break from UFOs and conspiracies and so forth today, get a little philosophical. Thomas Rosetto uh, writes regularly on the subject of enlightenment, and he's been interested in the deepest questions about life and God for as long as he can remember, starting with his very Catholic upbringing, which he felt strongly connected to until he was about 20. And then when he was about 25, he started to look into the Seth material, as channeled by psychic Jane Roberts. At that time, he read a lot of books about near-death experiences, the afterlife, spirit communication, and so forth. He liked these books so much that by the time he was 30, he started to attend many live channel sessions in his local area. Thomas uh, taught a class for the Center of Lifelong Learning, part of the Santa Barbara City College program in uh, 2013. The class had the same title as his new book, Living the Paradox of Enlightenment. Thomas has spoken publicly numerous times, both in person and on the radio, and in September 2012, he spoke for the prestigious lecture series Mind and Supermind run by the Santa Barbara Community College. And again, he is the author of Living the Paradox of Enlightenment. You can read his essays at infinitelymystical.com. Thomas Rosetto, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm well, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Living the Paradox of Enlightenment. Uh, Let's start with the paradox uh, part of the title first. What do you mean by the the paradox? Where does that come into play? You know, there are a number of paradoxes that come about as this wisdom unfolds, but probably the deepest one is that before you wake up to who you really are, you think of yourself as this person, that this human being is who you are. It's fully who you are, and there's no more to you than it. And you think, well, maybe I should be enlightened, and you're marching around going, oh, I'm going to become enlightened, I'm going to become enlightened. And if for some reason you wake up to the true picture of it all, in my opinion, what you see is that human being still exists and still continues and becomes more polished and more loving, but it is not who you are fundamentally. So there's a big shift in who you are. And you wake up to this idea that you exist as pure awareness, this unchanging awareness. It's never changed and therefore it, you, did not become enlightened, but the person became enlightened. So there's a bit of paradox in that. Right. That's, I guess, what you're referring to when you say you, you become polished. So it's, it's yeah. the... It's, exactly. Yeah, it's the diamond in the rough. Exactly. So and you, who does this polishing? God does this polishing. 100% yeah. with you on that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you mention in, in uh, the book, you talk about the secret... Uh, very popular. I, I guess that's yeah, been out yeah. now just over 10 years. I, the film came out in the book around 2006. This idea yeah. that, that we can manifest reality with our thoughts. Uh, I mean, you, you, you obviously don't agree with that, right? You, 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 you we, you don't believe that. I don't push it that far. I mean, the way they put it is you can be, do, and have whatever you want. And I just don't think that's the case. And yet at the same time, oh gosh, a number of years ago, I think it was all the way back in 1980, I started to read some channeled books, uh, Seth, as channeled by Jane Roberts. Right, he right. was putting on, this ta- on the table that you create your own reality. Now, I thought, well, this is very interesting, and uh, I'll give it a try. And at the same time, I briefly lived up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I rubbed elbows with some people that were saying you could be, do, and have whatever you want. This is obviously before it was put into the secret. And I said, oh, that's the same thing Seth is saying. No, it's not. And I didn't realize the difference. 
Um, Seth is basically saying that you, you create your own reality in the sense that you create your own personal experience, your state of being, whether or not you're happy or sad most of the time. And this is all a reflection of your core beliefs. And then with this will arise your emotions. And from there, you will take action. And all of this together will bring about circumstances. But you have no specific control over, I want this. I'm ordering this from the catalog. Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, the universe is not, uh, you know, like yeah. a, a, f- a fast food drive through where you go right. and you order something and you get it. Right. <clears throat> right. Um, so it's all this adventure and there's, there's mystery and there's surprise. And like I say in my book, what would life be like without surprises? You always knew what you were going to get. And it doesn't work that way. So, but there is some control and it all has to do with this respect of what your core beliefs are. And it's not so much, I believe I'm going to get thing A or condition B. It's more like, I believe that I'm a worthy and deserving person. I'm open to the love of God or the love of the universe, or whatever words are appropriate. Right. It's an opening. It's, it's, it's um, you know what I'm saying. It's, we should give a little bit of the backstory for those not familiar with the Seth material and who Jane Roberts was. She was primarily a, a clairvoyant and a, and a poet, I guess. Uh, yeah, she was and, an author. And, and a channeler. Mm-hmm. So what happened back, I guess it started what, early 1964, she started receiving these communications th- yeah, I through think it this? Was, you know, Richard, between you and me, I noticed, I noticed that, oh, it started in late 63. Ah. What else happened in late 63? Kennedy was shot. I mm. thought, wow, I wonder if this is going together. But um, yeah, that's when they first were fiddling around with a little Ouija board, which I know has a bad reputation and all this. But then eventually Seth was able to take control over her vocal chords and speak for her and all of this was happening completely unknown to me i was too young at that time and i didn't actually start reading the books until 1980 but uh she and her husband worked together on this and uh it's kind of a painstaking involved process but they transcribed these they got a publisher they released some books the first book that was fully dictated by seth came out in 1972 and it was called seth speaks and he dictated that from cover to cover. And in there, as you read it, um, her husband, Robert Butts, is interjecting little introductions or little notes like we're taking a break for this or whatever. We didn't come back for a couple of days or whatever. So there's a little bit of a log kind of feel to it, too. And what is your – What are you, are you skeptical? Are you a believer? Do you think that she was actually communicating with this entity, Seth? Yes. Yes, I do. And um, I, I think you have to take all channeled material with a grain of salt. I think it's just like a person. There are people with good material and there are people that are good hearted, but they're a little bit off base and their material may not be a match for me and so forth. And there's also just flat out deception and so forth. And I think you can find just about all of that with the channeled material too. Or just simple innocent misunderstandings, which I think would happen. Seth is often said as the... Um, the one who planted the seed to the modern day New Age movement. And I think they got a little caught up with this idea of you create your own reality and took it further than it should be. He often talks about the limitations that you choose. You choose your parents, you choose your initial circumstances. And then the idea is to learn from that and to work from that and to grow from that. And so um, there are aspects of that. And if you want, I can go into what I think is a good metaphor about working with limitations. Sure, but let's just delve a little bit further into into what Seth uh, channeled uh, through Jane Jane Roberts. Um, what I mean, he he didn't go so far as as the secret in saying that you can manifest reality with your thoughts. So, what was his what was central to his core message? There's a little bit of a distinction between a thought, which can be a fleeting thought, and a core belief, which is actually a thought that's so popular to yourself that you integrate it into your consciousness, your soul, if you... um, Sometimes I call the soul your personal consciousness. But in there is an integrated set of beliefs. You know, life is difficult or the world is a dangerous place or I am not a worthy person. And this is where Seth liked to put his attention, not on the idea that you should 
think about, uh, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath house, and a three-bedroom, two-bath house is going to show up. So you see what I'm saying? It's a little deeper than just these thoughts. Sure, sure. And, I mean, one of the things that um, I know, I don't know a lot about uh, the Seth material, um, I mean, I'm, I come from a Christian perspective, and, and I I know he didn't, he didn't, when he was asked, I don't know if they asked him questions directly or whether he just offered up the material, but he was asked about, about Jesus Christ and he didn't, his commute, based on his communication, if I recall, he didn't believe Christ was crucified, that it was, um, I think Judas, um, stood in his place or something, which is very sort of much in line, I think, with what the Quran says about, about what happened to Christ, that there was a, that he was replaced um, by someone else on the cross and so forth. But anyway, uh, not to digress too much, but that's, I just want to put my bias on the table because uh, I don't know, how do you feel about that? I don't know what your faith you know, tradition is. I think that's a really good point to look into. And I, I'll point out that Seth did offer, and I also am not an expert in the whole bulk of the Seth material. I read a couple of the books and then, in 2012, I was re-inspired to read some of them again, and that's when I started realizing that I had misunderstood them um, to some extent, to an important extent. Um, but back to this point of Jesus, he did touch on this subject, and he kept offering more material, but they didn't pursue it. So there wasn't a real clarification, but he was saying that there was some kind of, if I remember correctly, some kind of, um, what's the right word, conflation between like three entities where... There's, the story is wrapped into one when really it's something along the lines of three entities being involved. But to your greater point about uh, Christian tradition or other traditions, you mentioned the Quran. Many of these traditions do touch on these core ideas of enlightenment in a deep way. You know, you'll hear phrases like, out of Christianity, you'll have something like, not my way, but thy way. You know, there's an unselfishness right, right. and an acknowledgement of this God that's working through everyone, and, and uh, it transcends everyone, too. It's not just that God works through people. God is also transcendent. So uh, many of these traditions, Buddhism, Hinduism, and some of them, in my opinion, some people will be too picky on a particular type of translation, and they'll say, well, it says exactly this. And, and with you, when you look at some of that stuff, you can loosen it up a little bit and go, what about if you open that translation up a little bit? And then all of a sudden you see that there's more overlap. Like some people say that Hinduism and Buddhism are completely opposed because the Buddhists have commonly said that there is no self. And I think that that's a mistranslation. And then the Hindus are working with this self, you know. But anyway, I don't know how much of that you want to go into, but we can touch on it. Okay, so so Seth's prime belief uh, and these affirmations, let's talk about that a little bit. What was central right. to Seth's message? This idea that I am a worthy and deserving person is obviously at the yeah. center of it. Yeah, he puts that as his fundamental, I think he uses the word prime, this is my prime suggested belief that you work on this. And he says if you have any other belief that's in conflict with this, you might want to consider getting rid of the conflicting belief. So, you know, I work with some things like I fit into the world beautifully or I joyously fit into the world beautifully. And I realized that when I was younger, I often thought that I didn't fit in, you know, that I just got this little tiny place for me and that's where I was. And then I decided more recently to, to open that up and say, well, you don't know where else you can fit in. I mean, you've been fitting in this tiny little place, but what about just opening it up? Not to anything specific that I know of, but just saying, you know, I, Thomas, fit into the world beautifully or something like that. And you want to find something that's fairly brief, and he does recommend affirmations, and he does recommend that they repeat, be repeated for about five to ten minutes a day. No more. And he says, if you think you need more, you simply believe that you have problems that are really big problems and are going to take extra, extra amount of work. And that's just a belief, an unnecessary limiting beliefs that you can let go of. Uh, so for me, I, I would, as, again, as a Christian, I would say I'm, I'm not worthy, but through God's grace, you know, uh, yeah. I can be. So how do you right. view that? Right. Yeah, that's perfectly fine because... Um, there is a 
validity to this, how shall we say this, this raising up of the, of the human condition, of the human being, so that without God, what do we have? Nothing, really, right? So you want to invite this divinity or this recognition of this divinity into the humanity that you are. Is that along the lines? Of what sure, sure. Yeah, my, yeah, because I mean, I look at human nature as, I mean, we're pretty lousy to each other. Uh, yeah, that's our biggest problem. We are that's a wretched, we're wretched creatures. We, I mean, if you look at the way most of the world operates, it's just, it's a, it's hellacious. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we are not, my, my view is we are not worthy only through God's grace, uh, not even through, just on, not only through good deeds alone, but only through yeah. God's grace can we be, can we raise up because human nature is, is fallen. Um, so these affirmations, the, the idea here is that you want to address one's, one's core belief, right? Rather than, yeah. rather than trying to change your situation, which you can't, I mean, we're often, well, you can, I suppose, at a, if you attack it from a deeper level, right? Exactly. It's indirect. It's not like if you're always manipulating the outer conditions as if you're controlling them in some outer way and you don't choose to change your core beliefs, which will give rise to your emotions, which will lead to certain behavior, actions, specific actions. If you try to keep those three things the same and just try to manipulate the outer conditions directly, you're just going to keep getting those types of experiences and conditions. They're a reflection of those things. So even though uh, you may get something in a newer form that you didn't expect, it will always match your core beliefs. And it comes from there. So is that a little like, you know, you you can't control the situation. You can only control how you react to the situation. Yeah, you can choose. You can choose how you relax. And that comes from your belief that you can. Well, you can see this in other people. You know that certain people are always looking for something to complain about, Right. They, they could have all kinds of circumstances around them, and they're going to focus on a small number of them and just complain and complain. So you could say, well, what about looking at this over here? No, 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 I don't want to look at that over there. <laughs> you know? But there are things that you can look at that's beautiful and uplifting. And as you start to open your mind to looking more for something that's uplifting for you, happy. And then you start to realize you don't even need to look for circumstances that you're happy with, that you have this power to be happy regardless of the circumstances. That's tough to do though, isn't it? That's why I recommend it being done in steps. Like if you recognize that you're always a complainer, the next step is to just try and find a little something that you can find. And that's why I point to that beautiful book, Pollyanna, that I think was written back in 1911 or something. And she is this, no, she's an 11-year-old girl, so that's where the 11 comes from. I don't remember what year it was written, but it was very long ago. Um, anyway, she teaches these other people, the adults around her that are always complaining about this and that, you know, she's always saying, well, what about this? You know, and what about, and she calls it the glad game. And as you know, this became uh, very popular and spread throughout America and people considered Pollyanna to be unrealistic. You know, she was going too far. You can't always be happy with everything. And that's not really what she was saying. You can't be happy about every aspect of everything. But look for things that are, are good, good for you and resonate with you. Like when my father passed away, I cried like crazy. And that's one thing that some people think that enlightenment, and I'm not a fully enlightened being, but um, some people think that if you're enlightened, you're always in joy, you're always in this bliss. But there are times for tears. Of course. And if, even when those tears were flowing, there's an ability for some people to step back and look at that and see how profound it is and how beautiful it is for this human expression. And so um, I write more about this because it happened earlier um, with an experience with someone who was executed by the state of California. And this, this witnessing this event unfold just floored me. I didn't expect it at all. And I write about this, and it's a man named Tookie Williams who was put to death by the state of California. And I, I cried and cried and cried. I couldn't understand. I, I did not have a real connection with this man 
in any kind of outer circumstances. I heard him interviewed on the radio a couple of times, but he represented so much for me the hope because he had changed. He had been a founder of the Crips, I think it was, down in L.A., one of the gangs. And so he was, you know, very involved in some nefarious affairs and then went on. And, and But he became a changed man when he was in prison. And when he was in prison, there were petitions to keep him from being put to death. And let's be clear here, the petitions were not to let him go. Right. And the petitions were just to keep him from being killed. And here he was writing these very little short books um, to children and young teenagers and telling them about the false promise of gang life. And people were flooding him with letters, telling him how how he was the one that kept them out of gangs. And he was making all this difference. And, and, and for some reason, the state of California is like this big machine, right? And it's just like, well, you, you've been sentenced to death and they put him to death. And they do these things at midnight. I don't know why, but they do them at midnight. And so I had wait, awoken at like 1 a.m. And um, I knew that if I pushed that button on my clock radio, the news would be there and they would lead the top of the hour with what happened, whether or not he was put. And when I found I, I, they actually did go through with it, I just, I couldn't believe how hard I cried. But there was also this desire to know what this sadness was because it wasn't an academic consideration anymore. You might think about, you know, I wonder what it's like to be sad. Here it was, full, mm -hmm. big time, you know. So if I want to know what this really is, I have to pull it in. I have to let it in. And as it came into me, it just seemed to dissolve. And so I was realizing, oh, it's all, it's coming out of my consciousness. It's coming out of my personal being, my, my soul. And it's, it's coming out of there and it's dissolving back into there. And it's also beautiful to notice that it can be there. And it's perfectly appropriate to be crying. And I was crying because of, you know, what does this mean about the, humanity's peace project in general. Here's this man working for peace. And here I am trying to write these letters and essays and things, and I'm getting almost no attention. And here he was getting all this attention and he gets put to death. It was, it was quite, quite difficult for me to deal with in, in these ways. And so it had a strong emotional response, which I think is quite valid. That's my point. Sure. Well, there is, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, there is a, a lot of cynicism when we see uh, people that have been condemned for heinous acts and then there is, you know, uh, all of a sudden they they purport to be a Bible-believing Christian or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there is cynicism there. But it also, to negate the power of redemption, which I think is the most important and powerful story in the human condition, uh, is, is unfortunate. That's kind of, I don't know this case. So it, yeah, you have to kind of take it case by case, but I think, you know, we, we can, we're pretty perceptive. We, we can sniff out authenticity or when someone's not being authentic. And, and obviously you, you, uh, were able to, um, decide that yeah, he was being incredibly authentic by his actions and so forth. Yeah. And also I heard his voice on the radio and I, maybe you're the same way. I feel like I have an intuitive read on someone when I can hear their voice. Uh, and so when I heard his voice a couple of times and when he was saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm a changed man, you know, I mean, I'm working for good, you know, and if, um, if this machine goes through with what they've planned, well, you know, so be it, you know, and he seemed like a very courage, courageous man at that point too. Right. Well, that is a very telltale sign that, that he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, pleading and, and begging for his life. He just said, all right, I accept my fate. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready to go one way or the other. Yeah. I'm, I'm the least intuitive person I know. So I leave, <laughs> I leave that sort of thing to particularly my wife, who is, is much better at uh, sussing people out than I am. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes they want to see the person rather than just hear their voice. But for me, I, it's hard to just read something, you know, I can't, I, I, that can go one way or the other. But when I hear someone's voice, I can start to say, oh, this is a kind person. Or this person is, they're a good person, but they're carrying a heavy load on their shoulder. They have a lot of worry, you know, or whatever.
I was quoting Emerson earlier. You know, he said something else that's always resonated with me. The first wealth is health. It's true. And that's why I believe so strongly in Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract. It provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body. Green tea contains health-promoting polyphenols, including a powerful antioxidant, which has been the subject of extensive scientific research. Why don't you pour on these multiple health benefits for yourself? Green tea is a powerful antioxidant. It supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, and yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have been using green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC, and more recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of Mega Green Tea Extract is all you need. Why don't you give your body what it needs? Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. Smartclickidea.com. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was good, good, a handsome man, Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Thomas Rosetto, author of Living the Paradox of Enlightenment, is here. So by by working on the the core beliefs, you, you liken that to downloading a new app on your on your cell yeah, phone right exactly. new software so how does i guess first you have to figure out what are your core beliefs and then you have to figure out how do your core beliefs affect your emotions and your actions how do you, right. do, how do you, how do, you do that for people that don't know who or what they are right and um this is really important because you start with the core beliefs get integrated, and I was surprised some other channeled entities have said that these core beliefs start to get integrated and pretty well put in place by the time you're three years old. And I was like, wow. you know. But anyway, um, if you look at your thoughts, like, oh, I can't do that because I don't fit in, or then you start taking note. What, that was a fleeting thought, but it's being supported by something deeper, a core belief. And, and oh, I, I believe that the, I don't fit in, but... And I can see how that, that was another thing that was really helpful for me was where I reflected on where my beliefs had taken me over these decades. I said, oh, look, I believed that I was well taken care of by God, but I didn't really fit in. What some people would say are in conflict, but what it was, what I simply had very small experience. I was in a very limited living experience with a very small number of people that I interacted with. And it was sustainable in the sense that God was taking care of me through this, you know. But as I said, you know, I'm going to open up to more, then this power comes through and starts to bring me in contact with more and more people in a bigger way in different living situations. And it's ironic that the real change in the living situation came uh, when the fire came, and they named the fire the Thomas Fire. Tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. Just give people, sorry, people give, give people some backstory. This is, these are the most recent wildfires in Southern California, and your yeah. neighborhood was ravaged, not, yeah, not uh, only by fire, but also by flood. Yeah, the fire came fairly close to my neighborhood. I'd estimate it to be about a half mile away. The floods came within a tenth or a quarter of a mile away. So, um, but fires are very dangerous. As, as they're unfolding, you don't know about that hot ember that can float in the updraft and go a half mile away and then land somewhere and start something again. And again, I was in a very modest situation. I was renting a small, small space. You could not rent a smaller space than this. And so I wasn't really worried about, oh my gosh, there's potential for great loss of material possession. I just wasn't. <laughs> if it was, I had my possessions in my car, my computer and a few things and some clothes and that was it, you know. Um, but you really don't want your life disrupted in a, in a way. And most certainly you don't want to be in personal dangers 
you know, harm. So as soon as I evacuate, I know that I'm not in harm's way from the fire. But of course, you can never really, if you want to look at all the threats that are coming down to humans, you know, I mean, I could drop over dead any minute from, you know, the heart attack, stroke, whatever, you know. So it's not like you're this animal that's always going to be able to get away from the danger. But Back to the point of the fire, you know, I mean, it came, I was very comfortable, wasn't emotionally excited, just, you know, packed up my stuff, made some phone calls and, and hit the road, you know, and I didn't know how long I was going to be gone for, but um, I was gone for quite a while. And when I came back, I came back just in time for the big, big rainstorm to come and wash the mountainside down into the neighborhood, blocking off the freeway for two weeks and nearby roads and the power was out for a long time and all of this, but I had also evacuated for that because they said mandatory evacuation. And I said, well, I'll make a few phone calls, see what I can do about a place to go. Oh, some of the people that had me before said, sure, come on back. And so I just got in the car and light traffic and light rain headed over to a new place and stayed there for a couple of weeks. And then I went to my mom's for another week and a half or so. And then I came back to Santa Barbara and started just gathering my stuff. And, so and so I, what was the takeaway? What did you learn from all this, Dorothy? Well, you know, it's just this idea of the state of being. Your state of being, being comfortable with the idea that you can handle what comes, not all by your lonesome. Of course, it's the grace of God that's working through, that's making all of this so that you can handle it. But um, just always being comfortable, at peace. In fact, um, the serenity prayer comes into play. You know that prayer, right? Um, God grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think that's a beautiful prayer. I think that's a very profound, very beautiful posture, extremely practical. And some people would criticize me for pointing to a prayer that begins, God grant me, because a lot of these spiritual teachers, they like to push this idea, they use this word non-duality, which is a very misunderstood word, if you ask me. And they say that non-duality means that everything is the same. God is the same. You're God. God is everything. And there's some truth to this, but we'd have to open this up and work on this a little bit. But I think it's also perfectly fine to state things from the perspective of how it looks, your vantage point, your viewpoint, as we look out into the world, I think it's beautiful to say things like, I, Thomas, you know, joyfully fit into the world beautifully, or God grant me the serenity. Even though this is from the perspective of the world, I think the world is a valid perspective. So I sure. use it. Sure. Let me circle back to... Um the um one of the central premises and that is the idea of you know wanting to belong in this world uh being a spiritual person being a christian in my case means that's not going to happen i mean mm-hmm. nor should you necessarily want it to do you know uh, what i'm saying goes, yeah this goes to the point of i think they say it being in the world but not of the world correct correct i mean being you were mentioning earlier how people expect if you're you're spiritual that you're always you've got this perma smile and everything is you know coming up roses same with christianity the moment you become a christian life doesn't suddenly become easier in many ways in most ways it becomes more difficult yeah because you now understand the responsibility a higher level of calling for you yes Yes. Yeah, so, I don't want to so, put words in your mouth. No, 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 but no, you're, you're spot on. So, so just comment on that, the idea of then why do you, why would you seek to belong? Or what are you seeking to belong to? It's, it's not that you're going to fully immerse yourself, especially if you're going to become self-indulgent, like, Let's get the party started, and I'm the center of the party, and you are going to bring me every single pleasure, right? Right. It's not like this. You're going to be involved in the world in a helping way, in a helping hand. And this is very much like you were mentioning the uh, common behavior of of us as a group of humans is about what can I get out of this? Or how can I get the, you know, not the short end of the stick, the long end of the stick, the better end of every deal, you know, get the winning side of the deal. But when you start to engage in people, it's more a friendship. It's a spiritual friendship. How can I help you? And 
sometimes you can't help someone because they simply don't want your help. But this is, um, they make the analogy of God working with the person and polishing it, either like you mentioned the diamond or I think some of the ancient texts talk about making a flute, making the person a flute, hollowing it out, tuning it. And then when it's in tune, playing the music. And even though most of us are not perfectly tuned because we're not completely uh, purified from our selfish nature, there's still some of that residing. The flutes still can be played, even though they're a little bit out of tune. And as they become more and more tuned, this person who is not selfish is always looking for a way to help. It's, it's just a very simple thing of uh, being present. Um, they often talk about kindness, compassion. Well, when we were, I remember in the 60s with the music that was coming out in the 60s, we often talked about peace and love. And mm. even Ringo Starr, when he's interviewed, he always ends his interviews with peace and love. And I thought this was so perfect because this is the state of being of someone who is in service. And this peace, of love, peace and love also almost implies that there's a joy, a deeper joy that doesn't necessarily always require a smile, that the tears are perfectly valid, that there's a peace and a joy. And um, asking, how can I help? Changing behavior, you know, smokers will tell you this, anyone who's trying to overcome an, a, a behavior that they don't want is very, very, very difficult. Uh, what is that? I've read many times. Yeah. It takes eight, something like eight weeks to really change a behavior if you're committed to it. So this idea of affirmations, daily affirmations, five minutes a day, I mean, is it really that simple? Five or ten minutes a day, and um, I think in some ways it can be simple, but it can also be, like when I tried it and I first was dealing with it back in the 80s, I looked in the outer world and I didn't see a change and I just said, oh well, um, I guess I don't know how to do it or I'm not doing it right or it doesn't work for me or something. And so I said, I think that the larger lesson for me at the time is acceptance, learning this, this um, attitude of acceptance. And that is a very important spiritual lesson. And again, it goes back to the serenity prayer. What is it you're accepting? You, you can't change everything. I mean, if I could change everything, I would push the button and the wars would be over and people would be cooperating and you know what I'm saying. Um, but it's not like that. And so back to this question of what you're talking about, your personal beliefs, there's a lot, and I don't, I'm no expert in addictions, but let's just take sp smoking, which is a very, uh, we have a chemical involved. We have behavioral, um, just uh, things you do with your body and your mind over and over again that kind of make you feel like you're, you're doing things right. You're, you're, you need this and therefore you're going to go through the action of smoking. So they, what do they do? They try to take these cigarettes that don't have the nicotine that, so that you can still mimic the actual physical action, but you're not getting the chemicals and stuff like that. I don't know. And also alcohol is another addiction that's also very difficult to deal with. But um, I think that if you look at the core beliefs of I am a healthy and whole person, you might find someone coming to you with a, a set of procedures that will be in harmony with who you are and where you are and will work for you. Because I don't think that these behaviors are necessarily you know, concrete and are going to be there always for you. Although it's interesting to see, like Jane Roberts herself would smoke and drink wine while she was channeling these things. Now, I'm not <laughs> saying she was an alcoholic, but it is kind of an interesting thing that, you know, people are people and we all have our, our way of being and we're all being polished up. So, Listen, some people simply enjoy smoking. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and who's to argue with that? If they don't want to quit, they enjoy it. It, it makes them happy. Then, you know, we I think we get... Obviously, we want to live long, happy lives, but there's something yeah. to be said for for while you're alive, not to be hedonistic, but to to exactly. en to enjoy yourself. We get so hung up exactly. on the, on this numbers game. You've got to be you got to live to ninety, uh, yeah. you know, and yeah. this this fear of death. One of the things that's interesting you talk about is if you look at this at this as this world as a dream, <clears throat> that our waking state is really a dream state, and therefore. 
it's almost like when you're lucid dreaming, you can control your dreams. You really have nothing to fear because you know it's a dream. Uh, is that the way you approach the world, that this is a dream state? So really there's nothing, the stakes aren't that high. You can go out, try new things, do things. Don't be afraid. Exactly. When you, if you are in a dream, a nighttime dream, and a big monster comes around the corner, you're going to be afraid because you think this is more real than it actually is. I don't like to use phrases like that, but you know exactly what I mean. But if you all of a sudden recognize, oh, wait a minute, this is a dream. This monster really can't hurt me. So you can drop your fear of that monster. Now, my understanding with lucid dreams, which I've had some experience with, is I can't really do whatever I want. I thought I could. And so when I was lucid one time, I said, oh, I think I'll go to have an adventure. I'll go down the driveway. I couldn't even go down the driveway. I said, oh, <laughs> I guess I can't do whatever I want. But your point is very well taken that when you wake up to the fact that this is a dream, you will stay in the dream for as long as the dream is going on, but you're no longer in fear. Your, your worries have dropped. And uh, therefore, you can engage. You, you're not afraid to bring the love, God's love that flows through you into the scene because you're not, at, you're not risking anything. A lot of people in our ordinary world, well, I might want to love someone, but I'll get hurt, you know, or whatever. Whereas what this is talking about is when you recognize that our ordinary world is a type of dream. Now, one thing about that that's mm, precarious is you might think that it's a type of dream and therefore we can throw it away or not care about it. It's a type of dream that's precious because it's God's dream. It's fabricated. It's, 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 God is fully permeating through it. Right, and some it of us is. believe you only get one dream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the point is that when you start to lighten up a little bit about it, because nothing has this permanent nature in the dream, this ordinary world we call ordinary, it's not permanent. So you can say, okay, that was before. We need to heal from it if it was a bad experience, and we can work with that. But that harmful action is not always present in every moment, and we can work in a positive way and we know that we don't have to be afraid and that we can bring in, like I say, God's love through you into every moment. I don't know if this is along the same lines. I think it might be. But I, I try sometimes in, a, in, a, in a, an unpleasant situation uh, or even in, in, a, in a pleasant situation is I, I feel like I'm in a – I try to pretend rather that I'm watching a movie and this is unfolding uh -huh. in a movie. And so right. there's a bit of detachment there. And it's like if right. this horrible thing is happening, it's like when you're watching a movie, it's like, whoa, look at that. Well, that's not right. That That's horrible. But again, there's a detachment there, which, I mean, you don't want to take that too far. You you can't be detached from human suffering, obviously. But uh, it it does help in certain circumstances. Exactly. This is, again, another one of those very important paradoxes because – you will engage, it, and, and what aspect of human suffering that will come right to you that you can deal with? Again, um, there's much human suffering, plenty of injustices all around the world, and you are not here to fix them all. But some of them will come into your sphere of influence, shall we say. And everybody's different. You have a sphere of influence because of your radio show. I have a sphere of influence because of my book and what I try to do. And everybody has their own. And if it's just being with one person, you know, and helping them with their life, helping comfort them, you know, and sometimes comforting someone is just not trying to change them, not trying to jump up and down and say, aren't you lucky that I'm here to teach you about your core beliefs? You just put your arm around them and say, they're there. You know, I'm here for you. And you hold them and you comfort them. And that can be very, very uh, helpful for them. So. Right, right. I, I, um, I even, when I'm washing dishes, which is kind of a strange little thing that I do that I, I actually enjoy washing dishes. I find it very contemplative, very, ser there's a lot of serenity, tranquility to washing dishes, listening to the water, uh, yeah. splash around. And I, I feel like in a, in a very small, but not in significant way. Even while I'm washing this one spoon, I'm helping taking care of the universe. Exactly. That's your part right now. 
And you don't want to, you're never going to become big headed about that. But it's very much the same as any other act that you might engage in. Like some people become big celebrities. So what? That's just washing the spoon. It's just a, a different a grandiose scale. But they don't want to, I wouldn't want to see them become big headed about it because it's not their own power. It's not the power of that individual that made that celebrity status arise. That's the grace of God working through. Living the Paradox of Enlightenment. Uh, Thomas, how do people get a hold of the book? You know, my website, infinitelymystical.com, will have plenty of free book excerpts that you can read. And if you read those and they resonate with you, then you will probably resonate with the book, which is available on Amazon. It's available both as a paperback and as an ebook. Living the Paradox of Enlightenment, Thomas Rosetto. And again, give us the website infinitelymystical.com Terrific. Great speaking with you again, Thomas. All the best. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk with you. Thanks. It was very nice. Thanks, Thomas. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to give you the inside scoop on what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. But before that... If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy. Now, I know there are a lot of websites out there. They offer you a special deal on something and then whammo, they stick you in some recurring program. That's so annoying. But this isn't like that. Trust me, there's no hidden thing to try. Brightbiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. Freebusinesstoolbox.com. Now, you'll want to be listening to the podcast on Friday. I'll be speaking with a gentleman from Maple Ridge, B.C., who says he's in telepathic communication with Sasquatch, and he'll explain their other mode of communication, which involves carefully arranged sticks, stones, and leaves to form symbols, or Sasquatch glyphs. He'll explain all on episode 73 of Conspiracy Unlimited. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 